Welcome, welcome, welcome to Thirst for Knowledge Podcast, episode 51. I'm James Evers. I'm Justin. And I'm Seth Tardiff. And today on the episode, we are continuing our special History of Beer series, part six, Prohibition, side B. Yeah, this one is awesome. And if you thought Prohibition part one slash side A was awesome, side B gets even better. Juicy. We got... Heavy hitters, Al Capone, mm. all sorts of other crazy bootleggers. We got the original booze cruise. We got a bunch of fun facts about prohibition, speakeasies. We got the events leading up to the 21st Amendment, which got rid of the 18th what? Amendment. <laughs> yeah, so this one is fantastic, guys. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Enjoy. Come join us. As we go down the rabbit hole with homebrewed hooch, bootleggers booze, and spakeasy cervasis in the history of beer. That would be a hilarious TV show if they just made like a comedy show during Prohibition of just like like always sunny but all in prohibition like they they get rid of they like make alcohol sales everything illegal and then you're like what the fuck am i gonna do you go to church you start guzzling the wine down because you're so thirsty <laughs> doing anything you can to get drunk oh, uh, yeah. it would be so funny get a job at the federal prohibition agency and you're like getting bribed and you're wearing fur coats it would be hilarious now at this point at this time there's been um, across the country, New York City, Jersey, uh, Seattle, Washington, Chicago. Mm-hmm. There's these rise of prominent, what became very famous bootleggers who mm-hmm. ran these magnificent fucking ploys to to exploit the Volstead Act and the 18th Amendment and to um, basically take advantage of of a of a a, a dry country. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, Seth, do you want to do you want to start getting into that first? Yeah, I mean, let's let's dig into these bootleggers because okay. there's there's a lot of juicy stuff here um, and a lot of fun characters. <laughs> yes, actually, dude, it it, it blew my mind because I'd heard of obviously, you know, you hear the big one, Al Capone, you know, what I mean? yeah, he's but I ne- I heard the name, I didn't really know much about him other than that. On him. I you know what I mean, like, but these guys basically created major companies yeah, you know yes. what i mean they had hundreds of employees and and they had very large operations so uh the first guy i want to get into is this guy roy olmstead mm-hmm. okay and he was known as the good bootlegger and created this crazy network of uh, dealing with illegal alcohol in seattle now he used to be a cop, okay? And he found pretty quickly that he could exploit the system because it was basically a mess. Like there was no like we were saying before, it's so hard to enforce this, right? There's so much alcohol that's out there and there's so many people that want it and it becomes that whole thing of like 
oh, the government says I can't have a beer. <laughs> I fucking want a beer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it was said that he could make more money in a week. You're making 20 years. Than he could make in 20 years as a cop. Ooh. Dude. Sign me up. <laughs> I'm going to do this for three weeks and I'm going to go. <laughs> How could you turn that down, man? I, w- I couldn't. Yeah, right? Like, and he... Especially he, at the time where you could almost buy your way out of prison. It yeah, was a no-brainer. That's basically it's what... It's literally yeah. a no-brainer. That's basically what was happening. It's like, yeah. all right, I'm going to make a bunch of money, and then I'm going to use a small fraction of that money to just buy my way out of prison or yeah. any kind of trouble that I There wasn't in. really like a... I mean, the one thing that I it did surprise me, I don't know if they passed this later on, but it was kind of a three strikes you're out, and they were issuing out lifetime sentences that was to in, some people. That was in Michigan. That was in Michigan? Yeah. Whew. Damn. <clears throat> three yeah. Stri- you get caught three times with alcohol on Li- you. Life sentence. Life sentence, which is scary. Yeah. Now, having, now, with Roy Olmsted, um, because he was a former cop, like you said... He knew, he kind of understood the typical beat of a cop. Mm-hmm. The ins and outs and, of their procedures. Yeah, the ins and outs of their procedures and how they, how they in that, in his town, how they approached um, enforcing the prohibition law, the 18th Amendment and everything mm-hmm. like that. And with all those flaws, he did exactly that. He exploited. Mm-hmm. Right. If there was some, some way that you could make money on destroying your where you work or taking advantage of how you work, I bet you could probably do it. If I had to like somehow sabotage, you know, my work, I could probably figure out real quick the best way to do it oh, and yeah. infiltrate it. Same as you, like, yeah. you know, same anyone. Yeah. He was already in the game. He mm-hmm. knows how to like, you know, get yeah, ahead yeah, of Yeah, if him. you're a smart enough guy, you know how to exploit the weaknesses of your business. If yeah. you, or, or what like some people do is like, oh, I see the weaknesses in my business. I want to um, fix those problems, right? So he chose the other side. He was like, there's too much problems money. here. Yeah, there's like, uh, it's just too tempting, you know? Yeah. And in, with something like the enforcement of prohibition, like, yeah, you could fix, you could work on fixing those weaknesses, but it's going to be to no avail, man. Like, there's, right. there's just too much, there ends up being way too much opposition. Especially when everyone's breaking the law around you. Oh, yeah. Everyone. Yeah. It's it's insane. One of the, like, the whole crazy thread in the story of Roy Olmsted and why he becomes um, uh, a known figure uh, as a, other than being a boot, like a crazy bootlegger who makes a bunch of money off of this, was he exposed this flaw in the system that it was just, this was a new thing at the time but wiretaps and i don't yes. i don't want to go too deep into this because you know th- this can kind of go a little a little far off track but he was basically um caught breaking you know violating the volstead act by having his phones tapped and that was something at that time that nobody had been prosecuted or convicted of uh, a crime based off of evidence that was from illegal wiretaps now, to be clear, with wiretappings in this particular time, in this time period, there weren't no they weren't being used for recordings. It was it was strictly transcripts from the conversations. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it. It wasn't like um, they had voice recording of Roy Olmsted on the telephone. Right. 
talking to his Anyone could have wrote anything down. Anybody oh. could have wrote anything down on of paper. Course. Yeah. Called it a transcript of a wiretapping. Yep. And and that did that did open up a whole fucking can of worms. Yes. So um, even though he did end up being convicted, convicted and had to, and was sentenced to four years of hard labor, he eventually received a presidential pardon um, because they determined that the wiretapping had been illegal and unconstitutional. An invasion of privacy. Yep, which is very important on a whole nother level. Mm. But that's crazy that this you know cop turned bootlegger exposed this flaw in the system. <laughs> yeah. Now with Olmstead, his the, his whole thing was, like you said, being the good bootlegger. He was he wasn't open about his uh, operation, but everybody in town, everybody in uh, Seattle knew what he was up to. Oh yeah, all yeah. the cops, the the mayor, everybody in office, whatever. Everybody kind of knew what he was up to. He was approaching it in a way. That was like, oh, I'll just, I'm not going to kill people. I'm just going to pay everybody off because I'm making a shitload of money and I can still maintain making a shitload of money and help some other people out. And we can all benefit from this. No threats of violence. Yep. None of his lackeys carried firearms. Nobody who delivered alcohol carried firearms. He wasn't about sacrificing a human life for this. For money. Yeah. For money. He said, there's no amount of money worth a life. Yeah. Much. Yeah. So that was kind of his whole approach. Which and is pretty pretty pure. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I'm I'm guessing that that may trace back to his like he became a cop for a reason. Right. You know what I mean? And he he was a generally a good guy, but when he saw this opportunity to make some money, he, he kind of spread it throughout the community, you know? Robin Hood. Yep. Yep. Now what about Remus? Okay. <laughs> Fucking George George Remus? Dude, George yeah. Remus, yeah. Interesting character. Okay. So he was originally a lawyer. Mm-hmm. All right. And um he was a lawyer turned bootlegger when he found that he could make more money. So he's already got a pretty good job. He's a yeah. freaking lawyer. But right. he's like, eh, I can make some more money in this uh bootlegging thing. He was know? he was defending bootleggers, right? While he was a lawyer, he was a he was based defending bootleggers yeah. the entire time, yeah. and he's like figuring out how they do their stuff, and he's like, "I'm getting into this too, fuck, Dude. because too he, much money." He, as a lawyer, he looked into the law mm-hmm. deeply, yeah. and and got found the exploits to get bootleggers off, yep. by just paying a crazy fine. By weren't so so arguing off of their conviction so they wouldn't go to jail. And using that information that he had, mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh fuck yeah, this this is a ridiculous law, and I there I we can exploit this, and yep. I can make a lot of money." Exactly. Basically, figuring out, oh, I don't have to serve jail time; I could just pay them off. And he was seeing these these basically scrubs mm-hmm. peeling off one thousand dollar bills to pay the judge. Oh yeah, and then he's like, "Okay, this is a no brainer." Yeah, he's like, "I can do this better." Yeah, and yeah. he did, man. He was a smart dude. So, um, uh, his big premise was to buy distilleries. Okay. And during, once the prohibition law was passed, some of these distilleries had shitloads of alcohol, right? Like loads upon loads of alcohol that was, that they couldn't, they weren't just going to destroy this stuff, right? Right. Like a lot of stuff did get destroyed, but it would have been. It wasn't illegal to have alcohol. 
You just couldn't sell it. Yeah, you couldn't sell it or transport it. So now all this stuff's just stuck. So, but if you obtained a license to sell it for medicinal purposes or for some other means, now you can actually make use of this. So he started buying up distilleries. He started getting these licenses and then started opening up. He also bought up drug companies. Exactly, exactly, yes. Yeah. So he basically made his own drug company where he could sell the money, uh, sell the fucking <laughs> liquor that he bought from these distilleries via the drug company. And then in a even bolder move, <laughs> robbed his own drug companies so that he could sell the alcohol also on the black market, dude. Tax free. By cooking the bucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. It's super brilliant. Yeah. He owned all the, he owned the entire transportation and sell and distribution and everything yeah no he did he owned all these businesses that did everything it was like all in one and yeah it's so genius dude yeah he even started the american transportation company that's so fucking crazy <laughs> <laughs> i i mean by and large this was the most brilliant bootlegging operation i found like just perfect plan mm -hmm. and I, even though George Remus did turn out to be a bit of a douche. Yeah. yeah uh, just a, a bit. little bit. Just a bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, I, I found his operation, his exploitation of the 18th Amendment, it was just perfect. It really was, dude. Perfect. It really was. He had all the roads controlled to his 50-acre farm where he kept all his illegal booze. Mm -hmm. And then people would just come all day and just pick up and... Yeah, and then he, what he paid off, he paid off like one of the head top dudes in Washington, right? Yeah, so he, there was this dude, Jesse Smith, that he became good friends with and told them that as long as you keep paying me off, you will not have to spend a day in prison. Yeah. <laughs> he said, so, said $50,000 and like $2 a barrel or a, or a case of beer or whatever per, per barrel he sold was going to him. Yep. He paid him that day. No, no, I spot, think it right? was two fifty per box of those uh the permits. Oh right. Oh that's right, right. that's right. The permits. Yes. Per yeah, permits. yeah, yeah. And then fifty thousand yeah. dollars and you'll never see yeah. a day in jail. Yeah. And he paid him on the spot with thousand yeah. dollar bills. Exactly. Fucking <laughs> crazy, dude. With thousand dollar bills. I know, dude. That you never get I want, I want a thousand dollar bill. <laughs> yeah. I want one. And I want to go and buy something. James, like you keep I, going on about this thousand dollar bill. I want a thousand I want to go to McDonald's and buy a McChicken with a thousand dollar bill. And I was like, You mean uh, do you want to buy a thousand McChickens or do you want to buy one? I want them and to get break the it. I want them to break it. I want to be like, hey, can you guys break a twenty? Like, no, like put a candy bar on, just put a thousand dollar bill down. Yeah. You said you couldn't break twenties. You never said anything about a thousand dollar thousand. Yeah. So um, Remus, unfortunately, gets prosecuted for violating the Volstead Act. So he's like, I got nothing to worry about. My buddy Jesse Smith said, I don't need to spend a day in jail. Yeah. But Jesse Damn. Smith gets convicted on corruption charges and shoots himself. <laughs> shoots himself dead. <laughs> so now Remus is fucked and he actually has to go to jail. And just just after being convicted before he goes in jail, he bought the Jack Daniels distillery. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Cuz he was like it doesn't matter when I get out, I'm fucking good. Like yep. I still have this whole network, I still have all these businesses and all this stuff. It's great. But it's not great. Because Remus's wife, who is his partner in all of this, ends up having an affair with another man, 
and files for divorce from Remus. Now, while Remus is in jail, she systematically sells off basically all of his assets. Everything. Yep. And that's fire is burning right now. Cold blooded, dude. Yeah. He must be pissed. So after Remus does his time, he gets out of jail, goes (laughs) home to find it completely empty. Right? And just breaks down. He's like, fuck, I have nothing. So on the way to the um, divorce court. The final divorce proceeding. Yes. The final divorce proceeding. As Remus is in his car with his driver, he spots his wife in another car and orders his driver to run them off the road. He gets out of the car and shoots his wife in the abdomen, and she subsequently dies. So now Remus turns himself in for shooting his wife. Then he defends himself in court for the murder because he's a lawyer and previously he had used the insanity defense for one of his clients and he fucking gets off Mm. he spends seven months in an asylum and then moves to kentucky remarries remarries another time where does all her money go that she sells off. Where's all that cash? Dude, the husband probably. Agent Dodge. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Although I don't know if they got married. I mean, yeah, I don't know what that whole yeah. side yeah, story was. The government probably fucking, <laughs> fucking took it. You know? I mean, right. all the cash like, he must have had. you. <laughs> like just a $500 million. Who oh, knows yeah. how much he had. He had so much money. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah. He probably just carried around like 100 Gs in $1,000 bills. Yeah. And, and it's insane. Like the dude just, he li- literally he runs this crazy illegal business, um, uh, although brilliant. Uh, then he shoots his freaking wife, pleads insanity, gets out after seven months, moved to Kentucky and lives a modest life until he suffers a stroke and dies a couple of years later at 73 years old. <laughs> Good life. Yeah, man. Kind of. How long did he serve in jail? Two years, dude. Two years? Yeah. Damn. That was it. Damn. I know. Crazy. So we come to our our third and our final. Is this Al Capone? Bootlegger. Al Capone. Okay. Can can I just do an honorable mention? You can definitely do an honorable mention. Okay, because I really like this guy. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, William McCoy. All right. Who's who's William (laughs) McCoy? William McCoy. Uh, as soon as sort of um, the prohibition hits and it goes into effect, William McCoy saw to take advantage of this. And because he had a boat, yeah, he found that, okay, other countries around me, I'm not that far away from... He's down south, Right. Or no, he's up north. He did. He did both. So he had this idea of okay. Um, he was the original, or one of the original rum runners. Mm. So he would take his boat and go all the way down to the Bahamas, and he would just stock up on fucking rum and all kinds of fucking booze and Caribbean shit. Rums, and and go and drive it back up fucking the coastline, and he would have people fucking. He would just wade his boat three miles offshore 
which is technically international waters. Ah, yes. So in international waters, as we all know, (laughs) fucking American law doesn't apply. Yep. Okay. So he would have people come onto his boat and fucking, he would sell all the booze, rum, whatever. He would also take people along booze cruises. This was like the original fucking booze cruise. Oh my God. Sounds fucking Where awesome if you're rolling in international waters, you're going up and down the shore, whatever, just yeah. people coming on the boat, fucking getting hammered. Yeah. Fucking legal. It's yeah. perfectly super smart. legal. Yeah. Super smart. Yep. Super, super smart. Um, he also had this ploy where he would go up to, I think this was William McCoy. He would go up to these two islands right off of Canada. And the, these were two territories that were still controlled by, um, by France mm-hmm. and fucking. Now there were certain parts of Canada that there were, it was kind of up to their own territories or provinces, whether or not they were, uh, they, they were, dry, they were dry or not, yeah. you know, Canada itself, there was no national law, but it was up to the provinces, whether or not they wanted to be dry. These two, French controlled territories were certainly not. So he would buy up all the booze from them and fucking just bring it down the coastline and just sell it like a fucking G. And all he needed was just a goddamn boat. And he was fucking loaded. Yeah, that's so crazy. I mean, it just he sold so much. He sold so much booze from the Caribbean that the government told Britain to stop this. Yeah. And (laughs) they were like, no, your prohibition is bullshit. Wow. Yeah, William Churchill himself said, "Winston no. Churchill." Winston Churchill himself said, <laughs> "Sorry, I had a couple of beers in that moonshine." You know, he was he basically said prohibition is dumb. And he's like, "I'm not doing shit." Yeah, and because he fucking conducted all of his business three miles offshore, he never broke the fucking law. Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. Ever. Yep. William yep. McCoy, That's my man. Pe- we see all these you know smart people and you know. How do I become smart, Resourceful people. I don't know. I don't know, man. How do I get smart? (laughs) I feel like there was was more ways for just the the common man to exploit these kind of, you know. You know, 60-year-old us are going to laugh at us now. We definitely are. We're going to be like, if we just knew to buy, why didn't we buy maple trees while we had the chance? I know, dude. Liquid gold. Liquid gold. Yeah. Who would have thought? God damn it. All right. Oh, this beer is so good. Seth, you make a lovely Hella's Bach, man. Yeah. God damn. I know. It came out pretty good. Good thing. Even if, even if, no, that's not true. If Prohibition was happening right now, you'd be breaking the law, right? Because the Volstead Act. It's more than, it's more than a half of a percent. Yeah. Yeah. Damn Volstead Act. So. All right. So. So what do you want to do? Do you want to do Al Capone or do you want to do a couple fun facts first before we get into Al Capone? Fun facts. Yeah, Al Capone is like, I mean, he's he's Scarface. A, he's fucking the OG. That's Scarface. a fun fact in and of itself. Yeah. Which I fucking I didn't know don't that. think I know that. I, I didn't, didn't know, know that. that, dude. Yeah. So before we dive into Al Capone here, we got a few other interesting things that were happening during Prohibition. Um, and I mean, just the fact that. It wasn't illegal to make wine, but you couldn't make beer legally. 
but surviving breweries were selling malt extract essentially so that you could make homebrew. <laughs> right, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. You know? Like, it, you, you see all these, like, homebrewing supplies essentially start to be readily available. Yep. Whether it be for making beer or cider or wine. The prices of grapes go through the roof. Yep. You know what I mean? $9 which is like, to $350 a ton. Yeah. Why the hell, like, okay, if you can't make wine, why the hell is the price of grapes going up? You know, because people are still making wine. They sold wine, ju- they sold sold grape juice at the grocery store. And they put a warning on it that said, don't add water in and like put into <laughs> yeah. darkness. No, exactly. Yeah. They basically told you <laughs> how to, how make to ferment it. Yeah, exactly. Or it'll turn to alcohol. Dude, it's so fucking silly, man. <laughs> it's like, don't add, sh- don't add water and yeast and don't put it in darkness yeah. or you might accidentally make an illegal substance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, it's not like there's some like fucking meth chemist or whatever, like <laughs> mm. selling those instructions in stores every no now. No shit. You know? Don't put double A batteries in a Gatorade bottle <laughs> with gasoline and, and under the table sink cleaner. Exactly. <laughs> Do uh, not shake it up. It's so fucking funny, man. It. it just goes to show you like how much they people didn't really fucking care. You know, and they were still gonna get around this. Um one of the one of the facts that when I saw this, I immediately fucking texted to you guys because it just blew my mind, was they found this still. Um, in Texas on the ranch of Senator Morris Shepard, who is the guy that introduced the 18th Amendment. They found a still on his ranch that produced 130 gallons of moonshine a day. Holy shit, that is... What is that? That must be like a 500-gallon still. Oh, yeah. 130 gallons a day. Day. That's how much mash he needs. But dude, regard like that. Yeah, I know, the, right? That's yeah. insane. But it was found on the ranch of the senator right. who propo- who brought the 18th Amendment. Everything hypocrisy, fucked. man. Oh yeah, it, it's so wild, dude. It's so fucking wild. There's so, crazy loopholes in probably taxes or something that rich people know about that we don't, and they're making so much money, and we're just like, oh, that's we're just clowns. True. We're that's, clowns. Th- it's definitely true. Yeah. I mean, isn't that why everybody has their own fucking charity organization? And yeah, foundation? pretty much. Why? Why can't we see anybody's taxes? Because <laughs> they don't want to go to jail for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Dude, so um, on the on the topic of moonshine, while, while we're on that before we get back to Al Capone. So um, I, I thought this was pretty interesting too, was that affluent people would travel to poor black neighborhoods to get moonshine mm-hmm. because they didn't want to be recognized in their own neighborhoods, right? Like by other people who like might like be like, oh, like right. they're you fucking see, breaking the law. You see the Kellys? They have alcohol at their house. Exactly. So this caused a problem with the people in the white neighborhoods because now the people that were the bootleggers and the moonshiners in those areas weren't making as much money as the people that were in the black neighborhoods, yep. okay? So you know what these motherfuckers did? <laughs> they started disguising themselves as milkmen in delivering. They dressed up. They had carts that said milk. They had white jugs that were filled with moonshine. Dressed up. They dressed up just like the milkman, and they would just show up to the rich white people's doors and drop 
milk or moonshine at their doorstep. <laughs> Pretty fucking smart. <laughs> I know, dude. Milkman's here. Right? Oh, Timmy, don't drink that milk. That's daddy's milk. <laughs> dude, yeah, that can cause some problems. <laughs> Timmy drank two bottles of your milk. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, he's drunk. <laughs> Timmy's blind now. <laughs> All right, guys. So now we're getting to the famous or infamous, depending on how you look at it, Al Capone. Scarface. Alfonso Capone, nicknamed Scarface, for the three scars on his cheek. Mm. Which, as I was saying earlier, I fucking did not know that Al Capone was... Yeah, I didn't either. I thought Al Pacino was Scarface. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought. Al Pacino. (laughs) So, um, another quick fun fact (laughs) was that um, the popular use of the Thompson submachine gun... Otherwise known as the Tommy Gun, <laughs> was popular in the Chicago bootlegging scene, to which Mr. Alfonso Capone was like the guy. Yeah, and uh, another like I basically the things that I knew about Al Capone were he was famous bootlegger in Chicago, and they got him on tax evasion. Right. Like, that's what you know about Al Capone, right? Out of all the terrible shit he did, they got him on tax evasion. <laughs> and the thing is, is when you learn about, when you dig into his story a little bit, it, it's like that classic mob thing where they were actually, like, doing some good things as well. They were also doing some very shitty things, but they were also doing some good things. And some yeah. people actually, like, looked up to them. You know what I mean? And there was some kind of order that could be established and commanded from these mobster-type guys. Yeah. Um, but originally, Capone was a Brooklyn guy, which I didn't realize. He, was, he, he grew up in Brooklyn and then moved to Chicago. <clears throat> and his big thing um, was he basically operated illegal obviously beer breweries in chicago which i didn't realize that there were like underground like i knew you always hear about moonshine when you're like manufacturing illegal alcohol during prohibition i didn't realize that there were guys that were actually like making like these big breweries that were underground and obviously illegal (laughs) um but like because this was all about, like, this would kickstarted the beer wars, right? Yeah. So there was multiple gangsters and everything that that were in Chicago that had underground breweries that were making beer and supplying them to the local people and the, the speakeasies and the what-have-yous. And um, it, it got pretty crazy. Like, Chicago was incredibly violent. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of death. There was a lot of gang violence, and this is one of the things that blew my fucking mind, <laughs> was that hundreds of mobsters and gangsters were murdered. Like, we're talking, like, all these guys were involved in all this illegal activity, and there was all this gang violence over the course of 1926 and 1927, and of all the people that got murdered, nobody was sent to jail for it. <laughs> Just gang wars. They didn't want anything... All the cops are getting paid off by everybody. They wanted nothing to do with it. And it's thought that most of these mur- most of these murders were attributed to Capone and his associates. Like they never like they never got Capone for actually pulling the trigger or anything like that. Like but right. it was like one of his guys or one of his guys guys or something like that. Somebody that was involved in his vast network of, you know, 
illegal bootlegging bootlegging yes <laughs> now from my understanding was <clears throat> in chicago at this time like you said every there was these different sections of territories in chicago mm-hmm. that there it wasn't just under one mob boss's rule it was just everybody there was these different high authority figures who controlled a certain piece of territory mm-hmm. in chicago Capone having his own little slice of the cut. Yep. And through an agreement um, across the board with all the other fucking everybody who controlled their own territories, like, hey, we all know what we're doing here. Okay. Just don't encroach on our territory. Mm-hmm. Don't cut into our profits. We're all Gucci. We'll all be cool. Yep. And if you did encroach, the whole group would be on you. They'd it's be, not just you versus this guy. It's everybody versus you when you break the contract. And right. that, that's where you had all the violence that was happening in 26 and 27 because there were people that were kind of getting in on each other's territories. Right. Now, one of the things about Capone that was interesting and why we all know his name was because he was the first of these guys that liked the attention of the media. There were stories written about him. And there were, he was contacting reporters to do interviews. He fucking held press conferences. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this guy liked the spotlight. He was a rock star. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there were guys that were running similar businesses to him in the same town that he was in. But he was the guy that was like, hey, look at so me. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Which is insane like if he would have just shut up (laughs) he could have potentially like you know gotten away because because he was so known is one of the reasons why they're like we need he he became a figure for this movement there were so many gangsters there were so many mobsters and guys that were had illegal businesses and were operating on the stuff but we don't know their names we know capone's name because he was putting it out there because he liked the attention And that put a target on his back, obviously, because now you've got the government has somebody like to rally around. Right. Right. So I didn't realize this, but Capone, he expanded his business to being even bigger than just operating the illegal breweries. He ended up opening prostitution rings, gambling rings, and obviously liquor rings as well. You know, he was operating in the booze business. And um, he kind of similar to um, Olmstead. Uh, he gave money to a lot of people. Like he he donated his money to like the community and the surrounding people. And he was trying to hold some kind of order, but at the same time, you know, there was that chaos, chaos and that violence that was also associated with him. Right. And. Um, he was kind of riding high for like a few years. Like after that initial bump of violence in 26 and 27, like he had another couple years where everybody liked him. He was this rock star guy who was like, Oh yeah, I'm a mobster and it's kind of glamorous and you know, we're making money and we're bootlegging and Hey, you know, you're drinking that beer and you're having that sex cause of me and you're gambling (laughs) on that, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but, there were still rival gangs in Chicago. And um, in February 
14th of 1929, some crazy shit went down, all right? <laughs> so Capone was vacationing in Florida, all right? Not Chicago. He was in Florida. And what happened was one of the rival gangs in Chicago was transporting some liquor somewhere. And they had intercepted this from like a rival gang. And the leader of that gang, right, said, hey, take all that, take all that product and bring it to one of our warehouses. So he's like, I'll be right there to like help you guys out or whatever. So his own guys take the confiscated liquor that they just got and bring it to one of his warehouses. And they roll up another like couple of guys in cop uniforms and then in plainclothes uniforms round up all the guys and shoot the fuck out of them. Okay. <laughs> so there's seven dudes that just get slaughtered and the leader guy who was like, Hey, take it to one of our warehouses. I'll be right there. Never made it to the warehouse. So there's this whole controversy on whether or not he just didn't make it. And what happened was they pinned this massacre on Capone. So there's this like historical, like, we don't know, did Capone actually kill all of his like rival guys, guys, or was it a setup from this other guy to make Capone look bad? And to this day, it's like one of those things that nobody really knows. Damn. So this obviously brings more spotlight to on Capone. Like, oh, you like this guy, but he's he's a murderer. He's a gangster. He's not good for the community and all this stuff. Because in some ways, it does look like he's good. Like people right. are happy. They like him. He's giving money back to the community. He's providing these services that people kind of want, you know. Um, but... Um, Capone, that, it doesn't shut Capone down. He, he continues going for the next couple of years and he's, and he's doing pretty well. But the president at the time, Herbert Hoover was like, we need to get Capone because he put such a spotlight on himself. Right. So they needed like, they needed a win in a way. Hoover needed a win. He need he wanted to keep he was for prohibition so he wanted to keep that going so he was like he's public enemy number one here's this bad guy I'm gonna take him down you know I'm the man whatever so as we had talked about earlier the establishment of the income tax was a new thing all right so unemployment though <laughs> keep going sorry well so the un the income tax right yeah. and this was established before prohibition so that the government could get more money right so the laws surrounding the income tax weren't like no not everybody was aware of like filing your taxes and like how all that stuff worked capone was smart and he didn't keep any fucking books like on the record it looked like he didn't have anything like the only house that he technically owned was in his wife's name and all of his other property, all of his other stuff. He was like, yeah, I make a bunch of money, but it just all go, it all goes back out in the community. Like I have nothing. Like he was pretty, right. he was pretty good at that kind of shit. But after digging and digging and like, you know, they finally were able, um, 
and this was another funny thing that they that they mentioned was that they said even money that you make illegally needs to be you need to file taxes on it. <laughs> so there were like gangsters going out and like filing taxes Idiots. on their fucking illegal. So ridiculous, dude. Idiots. But Capone was like, no, I'm not filing my taxes. But eventually they got him on income tax evasion and he was sentenced to 11 years in prison. The longest sentence for tax evasion thus far in you know the history of the income tax and surprisingly after capone's imprisonment alcohol sales did not slow in chicago (laughs) (laughs) someone just replaced him yeah dude it's fucking crazy but like i said like hoover wanted to fucking take that guy down and now we're moving towards the events which are going to lead up to the 20th no the 19th 20, the 21st 21st amendment, amendment. now to uh, amend another amendment <laughs> exactly which is important <clears throat> because no amendment to the constitution at that time had ever been repealed okay so the people that were for prohibition were like don't worry about it an amendment's never been repealed it yeah. can't happen so it's happening <laughs> On June 19th, 1926, Fiorello LaGuardia, (laughs) the mayor of New York, a critic of the Volstead Act, staged a demonstration where he mixed two perfectly legal items together you could buy at the store, dry malt extract and a near beer from a brewery. Ah, crafty. That would ferment and produce a 2% fermented beer which was technically illegal and basically did that in front of people as a government official saying hey look look what you can do you can make beer at home with these two perfectly legal basically showing that it's a sham it's It's ridiculous it's ridiculous like we're selling these products like you can't control this like you can't stop people from fermenting these this stuff is too widely available and we're making it available for you we're not stopping the production of dry malt extract and all this stuff like it's insane and at this time in new york okay now new york is kind of like a, a hotbed of activity and it's like, wet let's just call it dude wet. new york is <laughs> so, so wet. wet soaking right? wet it is estimated that there were 32,000 speakeasies in New York. That's one for every 243 people. Hell yeah, man. I bet they, I mean, they probably do, but I'm going to say, I bet they don't have that many bars in New York right now. <laughs> but they probably do. Yeah, right. That's so, crazy, though. So it's crazy. We, I mean, this the speakeasies started popping up even like at the start oh, of- yeah. Of the once the 18th Amendment was fucking enacted, speakeasy started popping up to replace the your saloons your traditional saloon. Yep. So what what's a speakeasy? What's a speakeasy, James? A speakeasy, man, that shit's like everywhere. You know what I'm saying? You go you go down a couple stairs down New York, you knock on the door a couple times, you give them the password, they open up that crack. What's that password? Yole 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 hey and then you walk right in probably some awesome jazz going on some ladies walking around with those boas mm-hmm. guys in suits cocktails everywhere 
Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, underground bars, vibing music, dancing, and everything. This, good. This was crazy, man. Because there was all illegal though. It was all illegal. It was all happening, uh-huh. and everybody knew and about it. It was happening. It was happening, and it was crazy. It was it is this hot speakeasies were a hotbed of like culture and like people coming together, and you know prostitution. Regard- Oh. STDs. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold, <laughs> whoa, on, whoa. hold on, hold on, I'm not on. saying any of that's bad, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying what it was. But you were seeing something like comparing to your your old saloon style where it was men who are coming in after work and like, you know, doing, um, you know, getting together and networking. That kind of stuff would happen in a speakeasy, but it was men and women. It was right. white men and black men. And it was, it was all of these people coming together there was it was it was crazy and there was like this new music that was happening jazz jazz was uh, on the rise at that point dancing provocative dancing yeah swing exactly i don't think think swing was happening then but yeah crip walking (laughs) break dancing (laughs) i'm pretty sure crip walking was that is where it started that's that's probably true yeah (laughs) Sorry, a little cup, too many uh, prohibition beers I've been drinking. I know, but yeah, I mean, I mean um, Ham, you, you have any particular notes? So this, I mean, this was a time, and and these were so prominent in in any major metropolitan area in the United States at the time, where you, uh, a federal agent would bust one speakeasy, and then fucking the next day uh, it would just open up in a different location. Mm-hmm. And th- you know the 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 saying goes is all you need is a bottle of liquor and and Some music and and two stools or two tables, two doors, two walls. I don't know. I don't know the saying. <laughs> These beers are tasting good. All right you need now. is a bottle yeah. of liquor, and you're good. It's a speakeasy, but. but the the whole thing was it it created this underground culture. Yep. That was fucking it was so it was vibing, it was brilliant. It was the bees knees. Now during this time, women mm-hmm. chose even prior to prohibition, women yep. through respect and just not being in involved in uh, like the saloons and male politics and all that stuff, they chose to drink behind closed doors mm-hmm. at home, okay? They did enjoy beverages, alcoholic beverages, but it was usually sort of behind closed doors. Yep. Privacy of their home. The speakeasies changed all of that. Oh, yeah. And now you have a place where women and men are mingling together mm-hmm. Basically, fucking throwing a huge raging party. Yeah, it didn't matter if you were white. It mm-hmm. didn't matter if you were black. It didn't matter if you were male or female. Okay, we all came together for that common cause of just fucking wanting to drink and mm-hmm. have a good time. Mm-hmm. Yep, be people and enjoy each other. And, and if they just did that a little earlier, say like the eighteen seventies, eighteen. Then you know what? Maybe none of this would even happen. They should yeah. have let the girls in the yeah. saloons in the first place. Well, I mean, if you when you look at it too, now women have the right to vote, right? Like yeah. that that's a thing. It wasn't before, but that got coupled with And that was one of the the great things that came out of the WCTU, which which I really do appreciate. Oh yeah. Is like where the anti saloon league and, and Wayne Wheeler were really just 
they didn't give a fuck about any other goddamn issue. No. Gambling, fucking uh, fucking prostitution. Prostitution, trafficking, fucking what? Ha- they didn't give a yeah. slavery. They didn't give a fuck. No. Just wanted that alcohol gone. They just wanted the saloon gone. They wanted yep. prohibition. Yep. The WCTU pushed for all kinds of fucking things. Yeah, women's, yeah. women's suffrage, women's right to vote, all this stuff. Orphanages, and, kids, everything. Changing the, the consent of uh, the sexual right. consent. Dude, I saw that. Oh, my from God. 10, yeah. 10, 10 to 16. Yeah. 10. That's it. 10 that, years that, old. Yeah, that's fucking insane, dude. Yeah. They had a vision while the other people just said, I want what I want. I don't want alcohol. But yeah. like they had a a bigger movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it's very interesting. That, that was just one of the things. So, women were a big part of bringing the, you know, they were. One part of the 18th Amendment, and they also become a big part of the 21st Amendment. Yes. So um, at this time, you know, we're getting into the late 1920s, okay? And one of the big things that happened at the time, in 1928, Herbert Hoover wins the election. Now, he was a Republican who is in favor of prohibition. And to prove how much he was in favor of it and subsequently dealing with the repercussions of it. As we all know earlier, he didn't like Al Capone. There was this new law that was known as the five and 10 law that was enacted. And this was fucking insane. dude. So the first violation of the Volstead act would give you five years in prison in a $10,000 fine. That's a fucking <laughs> lot of money in that time. That's a shitload of money in that time, dude. You might as well just kill yourself. That's like, no, go to jail exactly. for five years and $1 million fine. Dude, It's exactly. like, um, so my life is over? Is that yeah. what you're saying? So it, work for the rest of my life and you get all my money? And it also had um, uh, some language in there that was basically like, oh, if you know of any of your friends or if you see any violations of the Volstead Act, you need to report them or you'll be prosecuted. Yeah. That's fucking crazy, dude. Yeah. That's so crazy. That's like, oh, I saw my neighbor drinking and if I don't tell on him, I'm going to go to jail and my family are, yeah. is fucked. Dude, it's, it, it, it's so insane. So, and to a certain person... Because there's people out there who are just constantly scared and paranoid. They're going to be snitching on everyone they know. Oh, yeah. And everyone's fucked. So at, at, at this same time, um, there's this woman, Pauline Sabin, who's a wealthy socialite from New York, who was the first woman to serve on the Republic National Convention. Okay. The Republican National Convention. Right. Which is... Crazy. That's cra- that is crazy. Okay, so she's she's the first woman to serve in the Republican National Convention, and she's realizing that um, prohibition's not right. It's not the way to go. And she was Republican until Hoover continued to dodge the issue of the prohibition laws in the United States, because everybody knew that regardless of what you thought about the 18th Amendment, and we've been over what it was exactly the volstead act was like complete bullshit and there was a lot of issues at the time and when hoover was asked about them he was just like yeah whatever like 
circles. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's that typical politician thing, mm-hmm. you know? So what Pauline Sabin started to do was form a committee to repeal prohibition. And she recruited a bunch of women from all walks of life to say that they do not support <clears throat> prohibition counter to what the WCTU wanted them to believe. Because the WCTU was saying that women, all women, support right. prohibition. But as we can see in these speakeasies, There's that's women there. not the case. You know what I mean? So, And Pauline Sabin knew this. So she was like, all right, like women can vote now and they have a much larger voice. We need to utilize them so that we can get this thing overturned. And then another giant <laughs> event happens that fucking rocks the world. The stock market crashes in 1929 and 15 million people lose their jobs and the first Great Depression ensues. In Unemployment, the States of baby. Unemployment. Yep. Your Amazon stock, all gone. Yep. yep. Tesla, yep. down the drain. Netflix, Bitcoin, nothing. Never happened. Mm-hmm. Everything crashes. Everyone loses their job. Walmart, see you later, boy. Oh, yeah. GM, Ford, done. Now what? Now you're building shanty towns in Central Trumpville, Park. Trumpville, baby. <laughs> Trumpville. Dude. I'm, Trump town. Dude, when I saw Hooverville, <laughs> okay, so Hooverville, that was the shantytown that was built in Central Park. And they called it Hooverville because Herbert Hoover was the president. And yeah. it was like, how could he allow the stock market to crash and all these bad things to happen? And force people, you know, basically because they lost their jobs, they're living on the streets. They're all homeless. They're all homeless. And they're building shantytowns, which is something that's fucking happening right now. Yep. Which is insane. And when I saw that, when that reminded me of Hooverville, I was surprised that people aren't calling, calling it Trump Town. <laughs> they're not calling him Trump Town. Or Give Trump, it a week or Trumpville. <laughs> I know. Now that we're talking about it, it's probably a thing. <clears throat> it so, needs to be bigger. There needs to be more homeless people. The amount of homeless people during Hooverville was crazy, right? Dude, I think it might be worse now. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to do. There's some enough. There's enough distractions that. now. Yeah. Oh, totally. You know. So. Um, there's a cat meowing some weird way online right now that would distract you. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. So as we saw the rise of prohibition, there was all these coupling factors that were happening that led to it. Now we're starting to see all these things come together that are adding to the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. We've got so much corruption. We've got so much gang violence. We've got... Um, you know, women voicing their opinions now that they don't agree with prohibition. We And then we have the stock market crash, which sends tons of people out of work. And the prohibition was bolstered by the Great Depression. And the end of prohibition was bolstered by the Great Depression <laughs> because, think about it, if you reopen breweries themselves, how many jobs will you create? Right. If you start taxing alcohol again, how much revenue are you going to bring in? It's like, it's almost a no-brainer. It's like, we have this big problem, we've got a bunch of people out of work, and we need more money to get the economy back up. 
everybody's already drinking alcohol and obtaining it in illegal ways. Let's just turn it back on, you know? If you start war with China, how much money are we going to make <laughs> if we successfully win a war with China? <laughs> Sorry. So, in 1932, Franklin D. Roosevelt is nominated by the Democratic National Convention. Now, FDR was initially silent on the issue of prohibition, but he knew that if he was against prohibition, that would be so many votes. And it fucking ended up working for him. So he said that he would modify the Volstead the Volstead Act as soon as the Lord would let him. Okay. He knew people were drinking. They were they were sick and tired of being told what right. not to do, you know. And he took advantage of it. And it's an easy play. The the woman, Polly and Sabin, immediately endorsed him. And FDR won in a fucking landslide, man. Like it was no contest. Like it was insane. Totally crushed him. And they went on to bring up the 21st Amendment. Boom. Boom. And what was the 21st Amendment? So, <laughs> now, this this is interesting because there's a couple of parts to this that I definitely didn't know. So, the 21st Amendment passes in the House, in the Senate. It gets sent to the states, all right? Now, what the 21st Amendment was, simple, two parts. Part one, the 18th article of the Amendment to the Constitution of the United States is hereby repealed. Boom. Done. Done. No prohibition. That's it. Suck it. Cheers. 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 Fucking 21st Amendment. Suck it, Wayne Wheeler. <laughs> uh. Exactly. Damn, tastes so good. So, section two. The transportation or importation into any state, territory, or possession of the United States for delivery or use therein of intoxicating liquors in violation of the laws thereof is hereby prohibited. Boom. Yep. So there we go. Wait, what? What? What's prohibited? What can't we do? <laughs> we can't sell alcohol anymore? Or we can? No, we can. It's okay. good. But here's the interesting part, something that I didn't know. So... The eight, so the 21st Amendment had to pass with all the states, right? So it goes to the states. So enough, enough number ratify, of states have right? to ratify it for it to actually become an amendment to the Constitution. So um, Roosevelt didn't know how long this was going to take, but he was like, shit, th this, this thing passed. I want to pass an act that will allow people to drink right fucking now. Yeah, okay? I want to celebrate in the streets. That's exactly what happened. So the color... The Cullen Harrison Act is enacted by the United States on March 21st, 1933, just months after Roosevelt becomes president. It's signed by him and the following day legalized the sale in the United States of beer with an alcohol content of 3.2% and wine of a similarly low alcohol content, thought to be too low to be intoxicating. And that went into effect on April 7th, 1933 and is celebrated today as mm. national beer day national beer day damn son yep. hey i want to know where they get all that beer that how, how do they it takes way longer <laughs> for beer to ferment than one day 
No, well, I mean, it went into effect like, you know, uh, a couple weeks later. So you could do a fermentation in that time. Yeah. It was March 21st to April 7th. But um, then you get the famous quote after Roosevelt signs the, um, the, le- the piece of legislation. I think this would be a good time for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> to that note, I'm going to drink this beer. Yes. And so the 21st Amendment goes to the states, and it took less than one year to get the repeal of the 18th Amendment. On December 5th, 1933, 13 years, 10 months, and 18 days, prohibition in the United States of alcohol comes to an end. That's so long. So long. Imagine being like 16, 17 years old when Prohibition started and then living until you're 40. No, 30, Mm -hmm. 40, 40, 30. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, you can do math, James. 30 years old. You can't drink all through your 20s. Yeah. You turn 21, you're like, fuck. Oh, wait, yeah. Wait, did that even matter back then? I don't think so. I don't know. I'm pretty sure... Drinking ages weren't a thing until like weren't 15, 15 year olds drinking 88, 88 bottles of whiskey a Probably. second. Yeah, they were drinking like happening. they're just machines. Dude, you know what's crazy though? So, um, several states and local towns opted to stay dry. They're still dry states now or dry towns. I think they're still dry towns. There's totally dry towns. There's definitely dry towns, which is pretty crazy. Um, but the last state. Mm. To remain dry was Mississippi. Not isn't it crazy how long? And dude, they didn't do that shit until 1966. Oh, 66. Wow. Yeah, 33 years later, man. Dude, you know what else I just learned about Mississippi, which is fucking crazy? They also eat bats. I don't know. No, no, no. no. Um, so they held out on prohibition forever. They didn't get slavery off their books until like 2013 or some shit. I'm gonna fact check that, but it's it's literally something like that. I wouldn't the doubt fuck? it. Fuck, like it wasn't like obviously, obviously slavery right. wasn't happening in Mississippi, <clears throat> but they just left it on. the We're just books. gonna keep it just in case it comes <laughs> back. You know what I'm saying, dude? That that's just so fucking weird. Um, and weirdly, also, so Kansas, Mississippi's also one of the fattest states, and Gina could have got her um, her. Um, what is it? Their dietary. What is it? What do you have? Internship. Your internship for free there. That's pretty much. fucking wild. <laughs> it's usually 20 grand or something up here. But she's like, yeah, if I go to Mississippi, it'd be free. I'm like, yeah, go. Just don't get eaten by a gator or like some <laughs> sort of like voodoo child. <laughs> so um, strangely, also, Kansas continued to prohibit public bars until 1987. Oh my god! So like Whoa. you could buy alcohol and shit, but you just didn't have there bars. Was no bars? In, there was no bars in Kansas until 1987. Holy smokes! Yeah, that's so. That's such a long time to that, not have bars. That's crazy. Yeah, another what? Fifty years? Like you know what? We're gonna wait fifty more years to have yeah, bars this, open. Yeah, this thing might be a little too. You know, <laughs> dude, that's so. That's so like irresponsible for like a state to not get that extra money. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. So, I mean, as um, the results of the whole act of prohibition and all this stuff that happened, 
there were no more basically no more all male drinking establishments you know we didn't have the saloons of old uh it was also made illegal for beer companies to own and lease bars and saloons that's good which that's good but it's it i feel like it kind of happens to the uh you know we'll go into that another day and we'll get to that history of beer thing but um and uh, interestingly, there, there were some comments um, from some of the historians that were interviewed for the documentary that we watched as a big part of our research for this episode. And one of them was that it's harder to drink today than it was during Prohibition. Because literally, during Prohibition, you could go out any time of day and go to one of these illegal establishments and get some alcohol. Right. But now in the United States today, it's like, Okay, the, you have to go to a store that's open. There's a lot of states Close that still on have Sundays like, they have or, blue laws on the books, or at least at the time, no when, happy hour bullshit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's all these um, there's all these laws still on the books in certain states that Can't prohibit stay up you late. from getting them. Yeah, New York is surprisingly late though. I think you can stay out to a bar in New York until like four a.m. Four a.m. Yeah. Yep. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Last call in Mass is like one, like twelve thirty. Yeah, it's like, crazy. I mean, you could, granted, you can go to any store during the day and get as much alcohol as you want, but yeah, back in the day, they just didn't care. Yep. There wasn't those laws. Yeah. I mean, Ham, you have any um, closing thoughts? And I do. And, yes. and because this is part of our History of Beer series, mm-hmm. and because we've we when we do speak about the history of beer, we do talk about beer that's going on around the world Mm. okay Mm -hmm. we focused a lot on prohibition because i mean well clearly as as we all just heard i mean this has been a fucking very interesting time and crazy part of 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 our culture as far as alcohol is concerned Mm -hmm. um seth what about across the world europe uh, whatever, what have you? Um, anything, any anything interesting that popped up on your radar as then, or was it really just kind of like America's doing another crazy thing? Just let them wait it out. It was already business as usual <clears throat> in Europe and and yeah. across the world. They were probably making a shitload of money off us too, right? Yeah, there ha- there have had to have been a little bit of that going on. Yeah. But um, yeah, I I mean I looked. I looked during this specific 13-year period at some of the other things that were happening, and there wasn't a ton that was happening. Yeah, not really, right? Um, I think uh, Modelo was established during this time, and some um, foreign uh, breweries and things like in Canada were marketing things as like American beers because now like they kind of didn't exist. So they were brewing like, oh, these are styles that used to be available only in America, yeah. and now you can get them here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's pretty crazy. Um and. I think one of the things that I learned very specifically about this exercise of prohibition that happened in the United States um, is that there was actually some good things that came out of it. Um, There was a lot of bad and it exposed a lot of, but it also exposed a lot of corruption that happens within government. It also, um, it created these new cultures and these new scenes and these new music things that may not have necessarily happened without like, and it, it sucks and I don't think it should have happened in the first place, but it did get rid of some of those old establishments of like, 
you know, these all male saloons. And then you have the transition to the speakeasies, which are more culture and all that stuff. I think those things probably would have happened over time. I think prohibition just like lit the fire a little bit quicker, you know, because when the government tells you not to do something, it's like, well, fuck, I want to go and do that. Yeah. Yeah, You know, it's like, especially when it's simple things like that. Um, but the last thing I have to say is um, who is that the host historian the, uh, from the documentary? Oh, that uh, like, Pete, Pete Hamill. Pete Hamill. So he closes um, like the whole documentary with like a really um, a great line. And there's so many things to be learned about the United States and our country. And there's so many great lessons. I would highly recommend anybody to watch this documentary so sick it was so mind-blowing and so engaging and parallels so many things that are happening right now like some of these historians literally say things that i'm like you just apply that to what's happening right now like i think at some point there was something that somebody was saying that um during prohibition they were basically getting rid of the moderates and you were only having the extremists you know it was like no prohibition all yeah. like your right or left all prohibition it was just like far one side or the other and the the middle was being like muddled you know hmm. um, huh. but interesting <laughs> but the uh the the great quote by uh peter hamill i mean i think he just went by pete but i don't yeah pete sure. hamill yeah. i call him p daddy he says um if we become a country that says please tell me how to live we're doomed cheers to that cheers, cheers. everybody we can cheers. drink we, again i think we yeah. cheers at the end of that episode cheers again cheers, again. cheers. <laughs> cheers to beers well it's a big celebration <clears throat> we're past episode 50 we're yeah. more than halfway done now guys alcohol's legal again <laughs> fucking thank god beautiful so we've got the qc of this episode quality control yes yep. <clears throat> um all right do you want me to go first or do you want to go first sam um, well, uh, you go. Okay. I'll go last. All right. Yeah. All right. Here, let well, me go first. All right, Seth, you go. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks, James. All right. I don't have a lot, but I've got a couple of things that I noticed. The first one is really fun, and it has to do with $1,000 bills. 
Mm. Fucking thousand dollar bills, man. I wish I had some. Dude, <laughs> so here's the crazy thing, because I started looking up all the other types of weird bills that were in existence right. in American history, because I didn't realize that thousand dollar bills were a thing until this episode either. Right, me either. So uh, obviously there's two dollar bills. Mm-hmm. I've got a handful of those. Um, there's also $500 bills. We get they don't to- exist right now though, right? So here's the thing, all right? <clears throat> there are still some in circulation, but they're not like currently being printed. Damn. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're, they're still legal tender. Like if you have a $500 bill, you can actually buy shit with that. Yo, I want a $500 bill. <laughs> get your McChicken, man. One McChicken, please. All right. So there's $1,000 bills, of course. There's $5,000 bills. Jeez. Okay. And there's not, there's like 400 of them that are still in existence. One thousand. Uh, the $5,000 bills. Right. And, dude. Crazily, the thousand dollar bill, there is over a hundred and sixty thousand of those in circulation. Uh in existence. In I don't existence. know if they're like actually in circulation. How many? A hundred and sixty thousand, dude. Whoa. Yeah. It's crazy. So even higher than the five thousand dollar bill oh my God. is the ten thousand dollar bill, dude. Oh. Yeah. And um there's only a few hundred of those left, like similar to the five, uh, the five thousand dollar bill, ten thousand dollar bills. What the fuck, man? And the highest. It's not like a Mister Burns trillion dollar bill, is it? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> the highest denomination that the United States ever had was a hundred thousand dollar bill. Okay. Crazy. And it was actually a gold certificate. It was never circulated for public use. But it was used like between banks and stuff. I was going to say, like, what would you ever use that for? Even nowadays. So they were created during the Great Depression, actually, for (laughs) conducting official transactions between Federal Reserve banks. And only 42,000 were ever printed. They were gold certificates. They were, yes, $100,000 gold certificates that were used like between, you know, these Federal Reserve banks. And it had Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson. On, on the $100,000 bill. Goddamn. Yeah. Crazy, man. But, dude, those those $1,000 bills, though, pretty badass. They look cool. I want a fucking pocket full of those. <laughs> Just paying people off with that shit? That's so baller. And how much? How much? How much is the house? Oh, hold on. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Weird denominations. Got that. Next one is the amount of homeless people in the United States, okay? Right. So I made a crack in the episode that it's probably like more today than it was back then. I was completely wrong. I was way off. Really? All right. So um, during the Great Depression in the United States, there were 2 million people who were homeless. Now, to put that into perspective, the U.S. population at the time was over 122 million. So that's 1.63% of the population was homeless. That's a lot. That is a lot. All right. Today, in the United States, there are around 700,000 homeless people in the United States. 
Oh, that's not bad. With a population of almost 400, 400 million. Right? Yeah, so it's it's at about 0.2% of the population. Damn. And this is a crazy fact, but I'm not surprised. California has the highest amount of homeless people at around 151,000. So that's like... Oh, wow. So they have like more than a seventh of... The popula- homeless population yes. residing like in 15, California. It's, a, it's probably about a fifth <laughs> yeah. okay. of the homeless population in the United States resides in California. 20% of all homeless people live in California. Which is a big state. Yeah. I mean, and it's also if you're a in the nice southern climate, area, exactly. I mean, it's, yeah. it's That's where I would around. go if I was homeless. Yeah. yeah. But is, it just be- is that the only reason? Or are there some other reasons? I really don't know. But yeah. I just I was <clears> looking at the statistics and it was pretty staggering. Yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah. And the final note for QC that I had about this episode was um, Mississippi. All right. We were talking about how they were like the last, they were like one of the last states to overturn um, or not overturn, but like ratify the 21st Amendment and everything. And Mississippi didn't officially ratify the 13th Amendment which abolished slavery right. until 2013. Whoa. <clears throat> but it was actually, it wasn't really on purpose. There was actually some filing error or something that happened. Okay. Oh, I see. Okay. That person they, sounded they, racist they, to me. They didn't realize like that it wasn't actually officially uh, ratified. And then they're like, oh, fuck, we should probably like put this on the books. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, it's but, official. Yeah, <laughs> slavery's ended. Two thousand thirteen. <laughs> fucking shit wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I mean, obviously, slavery wasn't happening in Mississippi right. in two thousand thirteen, but it just didn't become not official. openly anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's all I have for QC on the episode. Okay. So take it away, Hannah. All right, I got a few things. Yes. And I'll try to be brief. But <clears throat> um, on the podcast, uh, the question was brought up with. Uh, George Remus, where did his assets go mm. oh, um, yeah. Yeah, after he went to pri- uh, after he went to prison? So um, I don't think we cleared this up during the podcast, but when Remus was doing a two year stint in a federal penitentiary, um, uh, initially when he went to jail, <clears throat> he confided in an inmate uh, that his wife uh, Imogene mm-hmm. was the basically held all of his assets mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the person that he was confiding in in was uh was an undercover prohibition agent oh, uh, agent fuck. dodge okay. was the guy's name yeah and he was an undercover agent who was basically just gathering intel on george remus mm-hmm. so instead of bringing that intel forward to uh the prohibition agency he quit his job and decided to have an affair with George Remus's wife. Seduced her. To basically, and bo- both of them liquidated all of his assets. Mm-hmm. And then um, that's kind of what happened. And then they basically just hid away most of his money. Okay. Um, what happened after the fact when Imogene was killed, uh, I-, I couldn't really find out what was going on with that. But Dodge still got it. Dodge had some. Dodge totally has got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, our boy, Captain Bill McCoy, at least my man, one of my favorite, uh, bootleggers yep. and, uh, rum runners. Um, 
we did talk about like rum running, but I, I don't think we really kind of made it very clear what it was. Mm. Um, so Captain Bill McCoy, he did spend a lot of his time going down to Bermuda to buy up a lot of all the liquor and everything like that. And basically he would just run it up the coast and um, rum running is sort of a term of uh, sort of like rum row, which was like this basically international waters off the coast of like New Jersey, New York and all that stuff. So he would have these freighters, these large boats parked out in international waters. And then these, these smaller vessels would come up, buy up all of his rum or liquor or booze, and then just basically smuggle it into the ports. Mm-hmm. Um, Captain Bill McCoy, ladies and gentlemen, my, my man, honest bootlegger. Um, at, let's see, on the podcast, I did mention that uh, I couldn't remember the term about speakeasies, uh, but all you need is two bottles in a room, and you've got a speakeasy. Okay. All right, that was it. Just wanted to clear that up. Um, we didn't really get into flappers all that much. We didn't really mention what flappers were. No, we didn't. Um, but basically, uh, it was essentially what a flapper was, and this was kind of what happened in conjunction with the rise of speakeasies and women being able to drink and mingle with men in the speakeasy setting. Mm-hmm. Um, flappers is basically just a generation of young Western women in the 1920s, who um, basically kind of went went against normal, uh, just regular, like, proper culture and was wearing very short skirts, cut their hair into that Karen style, you know, the bob cuts, and were just getting really, really uh, rowdy and would flaunt their sexuality a little bit more openly um, which was very unusual for that time. Bunch of harlots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As we talked in the episode two, before Prohibition, women basically weren't in saloons. And it was kind of during Prohibition in these speakeasies that modern bar culture was developed. Yes, yeah. Well, now we know why, because they can't handle it. <laughs> um, I've got... A date that I wanted to celebrate, uh, Wayne Wheeler, he mm. had died in uh, September 5th, 1927. Ah, yes. So, him, right? curse that bastard. Yep. Drink to his death. <laughs> <laughs> um, listening back, one of the things that really did kind of bother me that I, I really would have wished we would have do- got a little bit deeper into, mm-hmm. um, but sort of what... Uh, initially what kind of also brought rise and the the some steam with the prohibition movement was the fact that uh, settled white americans at the time were very uncomfortable with the the rise in immigration and the the fact that uh, immigrants were bringing their new culture into the United States and it was popping up and becoming very, very big in all these different cities, mm-hmm. major metropolitan areas. So it was just out of fear from basically uh, just white people just being afraid that they were losing their country, quote unquote, um, to immigrants. So that was another way of um, pushing prohibition because if you in that time a lot of like 
cultures that came into America that were were very open about drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, Germans and Italians and you know uh, Irishmen and w- what have you. Yeah, exactly. Like when you're saying white, you're you're. At, it meant something different at that time, because in modern United States, you would consider Italians, sure, and Irish, right, right. and Germans white people. But at the time, in Anglo Christian, it was basically people straight up from England yes. that had settled the original colonies of the America. Those were the white people, and there were the like you said, um, Irish and Italian and. Uh, German and all these other immigrants that were coming to the area and had the open drinking cultures, and that was a way to kind of squash that. Yeah. So they they were feeling they were feared and felt like they were going to lose their the American way of life, mm-hmm. and so they they used prohibition as a way to try to squash that, and basically, yeah, the whole, yeah, okay. Um, last two things. Uh, we mentioned that around the history of beer, we do talk about beer culture around the world. Mm-hmm. But really trying to look things up, I couldn't really... It, it seemed like these this time frame of prohibition in the United States, it was just kind of business as usual around the world. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't anything big that happened that I could find, um, except for in 1903... Uh, the Qingdao Brewery opened up and was founded by uh, German brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a piz- uh, Qingdao. That's a it's like a Pilsner style lager that you can find pretty much anywhere um, in your local packy stores and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, still in existence today. And then last, this is a sad date, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, our our friend Pete Hamill unfortunately passed away on. August 5th of this year. Oh, really? 2020. Damn. At the age of 85. Crazy. That guy was cool. So let's Uh, drink. Yes. Pete Hamill. Pete Pete Hamill. Hamill. Yeah, all right. All right. Pretty rad, dude. Yeah, we quoted him at the end of the episode. Good guy. Mm -hmm. 85, huh? It's not bad. for. He looks like he drank a lot. It's pretty solid, though. Well, but he hadn't (laughs) for a while. He sobered up. Yeah, yeah, he we, we covered that a little bit. <laughs> oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Still got those big ass bags. <laughs> yes. So all right. I actually have one more note before we wrap it up, all right? Okay. We just talked about pro- prohibition, uh two episodes, big landmark in the TFK history. For sure. And um we're gonna be continuing another tradition in TFK history this January. When we'll be doing Sober. Dry January. Yes. Part three. Uh, <laughs> we're going to up the odds a little bit. So I'm hungover. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. <clears throat> but I know next Friday I will be not looking forward to it because I'll probably be drinking next Friday. We'll be yeah, hungover. Exactly. So we'll have more details <clears throat> on what we're going to do for competition and so on and so forth for January. And we can mention that in the next couple of episodes before january happens and there will be repercussions cycles i'm talking steroids we're doing it. wait a minute what <laughs> we're going for a full four-week cycle boys <laughs> we're gonna be ripped <laughs> yeah it's gonna be get ripped january oh just get shredded like stupid <laughs> shredded like i can't scratch my back 
I'm talking eight pack, but I'm big, you know, like I'm a big, big guy. I'm lifting up big cinder blocks. So I'll have like that weird out belly. You're looking like, like uh, Brock Lesnar. Like I'm pregnant. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's, that's all I got guys. Yeah. You guys. Thanks for listening to the episode. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this awesome podcast. I want to throw out a big shout out to Texas. We got a bunch of new Texas fans. Our downloads are skyrocketing, guys. I'm talking millions, billions. <laughs> Check us out on Facebook, like us on Instagram, and whatever. Tweet us on Twitter. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks. Sausage candles.